Welcome to Season 1, Episode 21 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host Ben, joining me today is Sergio De La Parva. Sergio is a public defender and is the author of A Naked Singularity, Personae, and Lost Empress. He joins us from New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Sergio. Thank you. Nice to join you. I wanted to start with a quote. Justice is what you get when you run out of money. You've been a public defender in New York for a long time. What keeps you going back there every day? You know, I, you know a lot has changed. Um, but I would say if, if I had to point to one thing that keeps me in this world, it would just be the interactions with the clients. And there's just a real, real magic to representing somebody who's in trouble. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm not sure it's the purest motivation. I don't, I, I, I don't take a lot of time to interrogate it, but I just will say that it's a magical interaction when, when somebody finds themselves in, in a great deal of trouble. Um, and, and you have perhaps the ability to guide them through that. Um, it's, it can be very satisfying. It can be very difficult. It can be disheartening. It can be, it can be all sorts of things, but I guess on some level, I find that that relationship that's created um, really compelling and, and have since day one. So while a lot of the external factors change that, that core, motivation remains and so yeah I, I i continue to do it i it it must it satisfies some some part of me that i can't find anywhere else in william gaddis's book a frolic of his own he says justice you get justice in the next world in this world you have the law your your books they focus on justice and the law quite a bit how do you feel about the american justice system at the moment uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan. This is one way of putting it. Um, I think, look, I mean, it's been about a half a century now of the United States engaging in this mass incarceration program, um, a program that I would argue could never have succeeded or been allowed to exist this long if it didn't disproportionately target um, black and brown people, I don't know how else to put it. And, and, and the fact that you have trouble rallying the majority towards anything that is seen as an issue for those communities. Um, that said, I do think in the last five or 10 years, I wanna be generous. Uh, there've been some, at, at a minimum, we've made some strides in getting people to understand the, um, the bind we're in and maybe slowly, slowly, at least stop digging, stop making the hole bigger uh, if we're going to get out of this. So I, I, at the same time, I, I don't want to overstate uh, the progress that's been made, but I also don't want to be the person who refuses um, to see any of the victories that we've scored, because I do think there has been a, a change in, in the average American's view towards a lot of issues related to criminal justice. Okay. Let's move on to A Naked Singularity. It's one of my all-time favorite books. In my opinion, it's one of the best books of this century. The dialogue is so sharp and the plotting is brilliant. Cassie's such a wonderful and conflicted character. 
What prompted you to write that book? Well, I mean, I don't know. I think most of my work, <laughs> sad or odd to say, stems from dissatisfaction. I thought certainly, you know, the pop culture um, depictions of the criminal justice world, for lack of a better world, or, you know, what it is that public defenders do and stuff, it certainly was like base level, you know, unintelligent and kind of silly. And, um, that was one of the great many motivations, but, you know, ultimately when I'm writing a novel, I mean, I don't think I have, um, clearly delineated goals other than to live in the world of that novel and hopefully create a world that the reader can live in that's subject to its own rules and motivations and aesthetic principles and things of that nature. Um, it's just different than writing, say, an essay or writing an op-ed, which is things that I also occasionally find myself doing, you know, where you have a clearly delineated goal. Hey, I want to convince you of this. And then when we're done, I want you to then um, hopefully take these actions or stop taking or stop doing things you're doing. It, it, with a novel, it's really the novel. When, when I'm asked what a novel is about, I, I, it, it breeds a, a, a kind of distaste in me. I think the novel is about, a naked singularity is about a naked singularity. It's about itself. It's about this world and whether or not some readers will have the experience ultimately, whether that alchemical reaction will occur is what will determine if the novel is a worthy object or not. But it can't be uh, the goal of the novel was that X, Y, Z would happen to me, that just, that's just a recipe for failure. One of the authors who I was speaking with recently, he said that if you can sum up your novel in a sentence, one sentence is quite enough. So yeah, I mean, so, listen, I, we spend a lot of time talking to people who, who don't maybe even read novels or don't, and they, they do want you to do that. Well, what's a novel about, right? And what they're really asking is what happens in it, right? But, but no, we know that, you know, what happens in a novel really is like 10th most 10th on the list of what's most important uh, and certainly in a naked singularity I mean it just meanders quite a bit and what happens I hope that's not the reason you go to it because you're going to be probably disappointed uh, but at the same time I, you know I'm, I, I think there's these like you know when I think of some some books that were really meaningful in my life you know they had vigorous plots too you know like I like at some point you just want to know if they're going to you know, get that whale or if Roscanacal is going to get caught. Like, and I don't think there's any reason to apologize for having a plot either. Um, it's just that we can, we all get that sinking feeling when we're reading a book and we realize that it's really just plot. It's just then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's kind of the lowest level lizard entertainment that we're not too fond of either. The sheer number of rejections you received for that book was legendary. Did you ever lose faith in the book? I, 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 I never lost faith in the book. I, I, I think what you're asking is, if I ever lost faith in the commercial prospects of the book, I would, yeah, of course, absolutely. Um, I'm no expert on what, uh, the, you know, what, gets, what it takes to get a book published. I certainly wasn't an expert on what it takes to get a novel published in my 20s. Uh, uh, even today, I don't really know how you go about getting published or you know, what it is, how. Um, so yeah, if you're asking me, did I lose faith that the book would be properly published? Absolutely. Uh, did I lose faith of it as an art object, a worthy object in the, this installation of what we call the novel? Absolutely not. Uh, that I just I trust my own judgment on something like that, um, and I always did. I always going to trust my own judgment on on what I had done or what I had not done.
yes, every agent was telling me, and, and it probably helped that a lot of agents told me this is brilliant, but I just want no part of it. So that, but in terms of the commercial prospects of it, yeah, I long ago uh, had given up hope on that. And then, um, I mean, the, through a series of events, you know, it worked out, but yeah, I, I don't claim to have any special knowledge about what sells or anything like that. So from a self-published book, and then it got printed by um, Chicago Press, wasn't it? And yeah. now it's been adapted into a film and it's been published more broadly. What was that process like for you um, going from something with such a small starting point to something that's as massive as it is today? Uh, I mean, I, I'm quite a bit surprised that it somehow got made into a film. Not completely surprised. I had to authorize it at some point. Uh, it never really occurred to me that anybody would, would be able to uh, adapt it into a movie it's all surreal and weird and just kind of like lightning um lightning bolt element to it um what's going to click in, in that way and what isn't ultimately i mean i just I, I i don't give it a great deal of thought um on to the next project on to the next what it is that it is i'm trying to do um and hoping to succeed um, but measuring success um, by satisfying myself more than anything. With the film adaptation, I haven't seen it because I think it's something that I, I love the book so much. I don't, I'm a bit uh, wary about seeing it at the moment. I'm sure I will at some point. Was there any reservations that you had about turning it into something that was like a 90 minute movie rather than something like a mini series? Look, ultimately, I mean, I don't need to tell you the the writer of the source material has no say in what's going to happen. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah, I don't think it's it's reducible to a to a ninety minute movie. At the same time, um, if more people hear about the book because of the movie, then that's a good thing. I tend to um, feel the way you do. the The books that I um, formed a, a, a let's call it an emotional bond with not too keen generally and going to watch, you know, actors portray it uh, for a variety of reasons. And that's always been true. Sometimes it's unavoidable, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. If, if something, I mean, it's such a, it's such a kind of miracle when something clicks as a consumer of art for you, you, you get protective of it. And you, I, I think I do anyway. Um, I've even like, sometimes like if I read something, if I have a great ex art experience with, with a writer, I don't want to read their other books. Even <laughs> I mean, if, if you know, taking it to the extreme level, it, you would think you'd have the opposite reaction. I, I want to devour everything this writer has done. I kind of almost become protective of that experience and don't want to uh, push it, so to say. Uh, so I understand what, what what you mean by that. Your most recent book is Lost Empress, a protest. On a surface level, it's a novel about a woman proving herself in a really masculine world of football, and then she's trying to steal a Dali painting in the background that's on Rikers Island. The thing I love about the book is everything in the book seems like a diversion, and Nina, your protagonist, is playing a completely different game to every other character in that book. She kind of reminds me of J.R. in the Gaddis novel. How did you come up with her, and how did you come up with that book? I had a couple of things rolling around in my mind. I had it, obviously, you know, incarceration plays a big part in um, in American society and certainly in my uh, life, uh, thinking about incarceration, thinking about that. And one of, one of the 
inciting thoughts i think of that book was the notion in the sense that you don't necessarily have to be in a penitentiary or a jail to to feel like a prisoner of this thing life you know and whether that takes the form of of a job you have to do because um you have to you're told you have to you have to have a job you have to do this job and you know here come the bills and you have to pay them and this is the way you pay them and the way that can turn into it into its own prison or you know roles stereotypes society societal norms um a female who whose genius is for american football which is uh as, as you pointed out is uh certainly a male-dominated world um there was also the notion of you know this kind of bygone era of american cinema with like slapstick elements to it and and contrasting that with some real heavy kind of um let's call it realist novels, social um, critique novels, um, and finding a way to blend these disparate elements was probably what got me my juices flowing from a challenge standpoint. With that book, and I read it before I think this started, at least my knowledge of it anyway, but the protesting in especially American football with taking the knee for the Black Lives Matter thing, which it's funny because now I feel like reading your book that that is so um, relevant and that was almost part of your book. Yeah, somehow, I mean, I, I don't think it had happened when I wrote it, um, but you're right. I mean, this like American football is somehow um, the people who have the ability to do this have managed to kind of mix it with like militaristic principles. And, and sometimes it's not, I mean, it's not just me reaching for this. I mean, you will literally see them fly military planes over a over a, a stadium. Um, the games start with um, with the national anthem, which is the protest that you, that you referred to. It's just all become so kind of like American society. Sometimes just feels like the greatest, most successful brainwashing project human beings have ever <laughs> managed to achieve. Like just the apotheosis of like brainwashing, um, for lack of a better word. And that was all kind of mixed in there. And, and you know, a lot of times, like, um, you'll put something in a novel or you'll you'll create these things, but, and then people will kind of maybe retroactively afterwards want to give you credit for kind of more telling the future, but it's really just the logical conclusion of what you're seeing every day. Like, um, you know, that a president even a fake president like the one we have would seek to, you know, turn this issue into a divisive way to, again, another wedge between what is considered um, the mainstream American and the people who um, provide the entertainment. Uh, so my British editor gave me the best insight um, to the book, as often happens when you talk to somebody from outside of the American um, pot, right? He, he said to me, this is the British editor of Los Angeles. He says, what I love about it is it, it, it shows up how for Americans, the African-American athlete or the African-American man is either someone you incarcerate or someone who you give a, you know, you get, um, uh, I'm sorry, entertained by in an athletic field. And I was like, shit, I wish I had thought about that. But then when you look at the book, you're like, yeah, that's there. And, and it was functioning, but you maybe were afraid to just not afraid from the reactions, but afraid from, from an artistic level of just saying it out, you know, making it black letter 
as we say in the legal business, um, just putting it out there. It's it's often better when you're writing a novel, especially a long novel with a great many elements, to just have these half-baked notions and not necessarily um, resolve them in your, in your mind, but rather to just keep trying to resolve them through the mechanism of the book. It's such a great read. Uh, it's so fun and it pulls in so many serious elements as well. It's just something that I think after reading Naked Singularity, which I just, it blew me away when I read it. But this is kind of, I feel like in a way it's a little bit lighter than a Naked Singularity because you do have visual elements. You've got um, a really hilarious, uh, you know, football team and, and the dialogue is the two female protagonists have the funniest dialogue I think I've ever read in a novel. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think that was the intent is, is obviously to create these two vastly different elements. You have a somebody who is undergoing Rikers Island, um, experiencing Rikers Island, even um, what we call punitive segregation or um, isolation, right? As a, isolation as a punishment on one element. Then on the other one, you have a pretty standard kind of underdog sports story, which again, I mentioned slapstick elements and stuff. And then the notion was that over time, um, over time, the comedy would become tragic, the tragedy would become comic and they would kind of blend. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, when I hear somebody say, man, I was, I was, I was, uh, very much responding to the comedy. I, I like that because that was certainly the intent is, is, um, to try to find some way, um, where the experience of the book itself, um, is, is the, I mean, I'm struggling to, I haven't thought about the book in a, in a couple of years <laughs> on a deep level, but, but, um, for, for the readers, for whom it works, it should feel as if um, there's a segment of our society that gets to play and have fun and, and, and go through life kind of making wisecracks and not, and there's a whole nother segment of our society for whom that's incredibly foreign, people like Nuno DeAngelis, and then to see, um, can all this tie in together by the end? I have a theory that the books that hit me the deepest, I think, are the ones where the humor um, brings out the sincerity and the seriousness of the book. And I think your two books both do that really well because you have a whole lot of humorous elements and a whole lot of things that are, um, I guess, surreal or satirical in a kind of way. And you bring it all home with, um, with that profound seriousness as well that hits both of your books really well. Thank you. I mean, that is, that's the attempt, right? That's the intent. The heist is a theme in Naked Singularity and Lost Empress. What fascinates you about a heist? I mean, I I think like, I mean, maybe not. Maybe I think my favorite part is when when you're planning the damn thing, right? Um, mm. And and um, and I and I think that's a big part of a Naked Singularity is is these two people just saying, "Hey, in our opinion, we're really smart." If we literally, if we really devoted ourselves to figuring this out, don't you think we could come up? And I think they literally say, don't you think we'd come up with like a perfect plan that would be foolproof, at which point it's just a question of executing it. Um, of course, they don't execute, you know, whether they succeed or not, they don't actually execute perfectly, um, which is, you know, the next level. But I, yeah, I've always responded to that. I think most people respond to that in movies or uh, less so, you know, less common in books, but the planning stage to me is what I like. Um, 
this notion of precision is probably a big thing in my, been a big thing in my life. Um, the search for precision feels maybe defensive, like, hey, this is a really horrifying thing we're dealing with, but I think if we sit down, we can plan our way out of it. Probably, I mean, it's probably not true, but it's, uh, if, I, if I'm looking back, I think it's probably a, a common theme in my life as a reader slash writer. Have any of the people you've represented ever uh, tried to pull off a similar heist to the ones <laughs> in your book? Not to my knowledge. Uh, <laughs> I mean, most most of the stuff, most of the people I represent, I mean, it's pretty like low level stuff. I mean, it's serious stuff because it's violence attached to it. They're facing a ton of time in jail, but there isn't a great deal of planning. It's more, <laughs> it's more in the realm of the kind of emotional reaction world. So no Salvador Dali's have turned up, you know. Uh, it all, but listen, when I do something like that, it's based on reality. So I mean, you know, Salvador Dali did have a an appointment or whatever you want to call it, an event scheduled at Rikers Island. He did get sick and not attend. He did dash off a, um, a, a drawing, at, you know, as a kind of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't make it. Here's my apology. Here's a little drawing. I just scratched this up. They did hang it up at Rikers and court officers, I'm sorry, corrections officers did conspire and steal it at one point. So a lot of, 99% of what I say in, in that sense is true. Now, obviously, we take off from there uh, to, to suit the needs of what what we're doing. But but yeah, I mean, what you find is when when you set out to write these kind of really long convoluted books is um, you, you get a little you often you encounter a bit of good fortune. I know that when I started to write Los Empress, I had no idea um, that a Salvador Dali had been stolen from Rikers Island. Um, I know that when I found that out in the course of writing the book, I said, damn, that's definitely going to go in there. And those are those little serendipitous moments that are a great, great deal of fun. I know a lot of listeners and I would love to know what you're currently working on. So what I'm currently working on is, um, is, is a short novel that I, I hope to complete relatively soon. And it's an attempt. Uh, I always call these attempts. Uh, <laughs> and even though you never find out if it worked or not, but it, it's an attempt to somehow merge, um, you know, science fiction, horror, memoir, detective story into um, a tale set in Colombia. Uh, Colombia is where my um, lineage is from. My parents emigrated for, uh, to the United States. I was born in the U.S., but uh, my parents are from Colombia. Always been fascinated with the place. So that's where the, the, this novel is set. Um, and I, I really, I mean, uh, you know, knee deep in it, hoping to finish relatively soon. Are you planning anything longer after that? You know, the the long stuff. I mean, it, it, the best part about a novel is finishing. So when you when you say when you say you know you're I'm gonna put this 800 page thing out there and like I did like I've done twice. I mean, it's just it's a real commitment to knowing that you're not gonna have anything tangible to show for it for a long time. So. Um, I'm not sure if that's a leap I'm going to take after this one. I don't really know where I'm going to go next. That sounds really like an interesting book. I'm looking forward to reading that when it comes out. Thank you. Yeah. Um, as usual, it's just an opportunity. It's just, they're just platforms, man, for like things that I'm like obsessing on or, or trying to learn slash teach myself. Um, 
trying to desperately get some insight into what it is we're all doing what it is we're all undergoing let's call it and the novel's just my way of doing that so um yeah i mean it's got to be said somewhere that some things have to happen and it has to be all these things but they're really just platforms um to try to try to once again um have that hopefully have that process happen in terms of writing do you write every day i don't right so i still i mean I'm still in many ways a slave to my schedule as a as a lawyer um, and especially I mean the last 18 months with the pandemic here with the courts operating in a very dysfunctional manner. Um, it's been difficult. It's been difficult, but I would love to do it every day, but I there are many days where I don't. In terms of influence, who would you say your influence are as a writer? Who am I? Who am I influenced by? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I I think I'm influenced by works, uh, certain work. I mean, like Moby Dick and, and To the Lighthouse, I think are the two major, uh, the Russian novelists, right? I think are the major influences that, that, that made that, I, I don't know if this is the reason I wanted to write or, or if I just recognize a kinship, but I think that when I think of the novel and, and the many things it's capable of and the many things it, it the many directions it can go off in, um, those are the folks that I feel like got it right, understood what the power of this uh, tool was and and used it faithfully and, and, and uh, in good faith. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Sergio de la Pava. Have you always wanted to be a novelist but life just gets in the way? We can help. At failedwriter.com, we will send you out personalised rejection letters from major publishers twice a month so you can show your friends and family and feel like a real writer. Use promo code A Naked Singularity for your first 88 letters free. Visit failedwriter.com. We're back on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Sergio de la Pava. Let's move on to your gateway books. Was there a book or books that opened up the world of literature for you? Well, you know, so, I mean, I've, I've always read, I had always had books in the house. When I was about eight years old, I spent the summer in Colombia. Um, this was the late seventies. And, um, and, and suddenly, you know, I found myself in this house, my grandmother's house in Cali, Colombia. No, no, no English, no written English. All the books were in Spanish, and I and I desperately missed English. I came across um, Old Man in the Sea, Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea, you know, short book. Um, I read the book, and I and I and I, you know, had a, a, a significant experience with it. And I think it was the first time that I I was able to make the connection that you know books don't just exist or come out of nowhere. That there's a human being behind them who like created them. And I think from that moment on, I wanted to participate in it at that level. I wanted to be somebody who, who was the reason uh, a novel and the human beings in it existed. Um, so yeah, that was definitely the very kind of deep experience at an early age that made me wanna, wanna do this. But I had similar experiences with uh, Frankenstein and, uh, and much later uh, with Song of Solomon. 
uh, Tony Morrison. Again, they, they, these um, they just I, I think what you're driving at is what, what are the reading experiences that stick out as somehow um, impelling you in this direction? I would I would point to those three. What was the influence on the South American boom for you for literature? Was that something that um, I guess caught you up? I don't think so. I mean, it was before my time. And, um, you know, I now read those books. I read them in Spanish. Um, tend not to love some of the translations. Um, but, you know, for example, the Colombian magical realism thing. I mean, that's a, that definitely captured something about what that country is like. Um, and it's hard to explain. I've been um, to those who, who maybe don't have an interaction with that with that country. Um, yes, it's a literary movement. Yes, it was a literary genre, et cetera, et cetera. But it also just happened to capture a little bit of what it feels like to be in Colombia, which is um, its own thing, man, to say the least. I know you probably don't get a lot of time to read, but is there anything you're currently reading or have recently enjoyed or you're looking forward to? So, you know, I just, we just finished up maybe a week ago. I was on the uh, panel of judges for the National Book Award uh, Translated Fiction Award. So, I mean, we probably had about, a I think it was like 180 submissions. So I spent the whole, I've spent, you know, the vast majority of the year reading translated fiction that's been a very good thing and the, and we the winner um was named a few days ago winter in sakcha on uh, sakcha this very um very kind of spare but really powerful novel set on the on a bordering town between north and south korea um so i mean long answer short answer i've been just reading translated fiction and and it's it's been um eye-opening I think in general, I mean, the quality of the of the work is is tremendous, um, and I think that in general, um, some exciting stuff is happening. For example, as usual in in Latin American literature, there's a real innovative strain there, and a real powerful kind of uh, at the same time paired with political uh, discourse that it, that I associate with Latin American literature. Um, but yeah, it's been all translated. So I haven't really been up on on whatever's happening in in um, classic American lit written originally in English, for example. But and I also just at this point now, I'm I'm at the point where I'm just I'm not going to be reading until I get my thing done, and then and then I'll if experience is any guide, I'll probably do a deep dive again into some voracious reading. Are there any authors these days who you would go out and get a book uh, just purely based on who wrote it? Hmm. I mean, I think if Marilyn Robinson writes a novel, I'd probably go out and get it right away. Um, who else is in that category? Uh, I, I'm not a great source on, you know, like the most current uh, American writers, but I tell you that they, uh, um, I read, I, I, I believe it, it's been executed at a high level. I'm just not somebody to necessarily have like, well, here's my seven favorite authors or anything like that writing right now. Who should I do that with? I don't know, actually. I, I found it more difficult to find authors like that. You obviously would be on my list, but there's Thank not you. a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, um, hmm. it's tough. I mean, I think the days of like, 
you know, a novel coming out and being an, an event just because it was written by so-and-so. Are, are they gone those days? Maybe. If not, they're, they feel like they're on their way out, unfortunately. Um, and I'm apparently not doing my part to keep it alive. <laughs> One thing I want to ask you about as well is because I think you've got a you've got a kind of different profile to some of the writers who are out there promoting their books all the time and they're out there um, in the media frequently and on social media a lot. And I find that now writers, they seem to have to sell their product so much more than they used to. And that's one of the things I've really found refreshing about your books is that you seem to, you know, go about your day job and, you know, write when you get the time and put out a book every so often. You don't seem to be as much a slave to that corporation mentality as, as a lot of other writers. Well, you know, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate uh, to not have to exist in that world. It suits my personality not to exist. Man, I don't judge. It's, a, it's tough out there. Um, could you imagine, let me take the... Put yourself in the mind of the average American literary fiction writer, right? You, you've dreamt of this your whole life. Um, yay, there's a celebration when your book's being published. And there's just like no guarantee you'll be allowed to publish another one if you don't make this one work under their uh, standpoint. So yeah, you, 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 if your editor tells you to, you open that Twitter account. You, you, know, you, do, what, you do whatever they say um, because you're right. I mean, you're under, pre you're under significant pressure um, you, you know, to, to have the publisher um, feel that it was a success so you can do it all again and feel the same pressure and go do the same Twitter tour and all that. So it's, it's yes, I believe me, I'm eternally grateful that I get to opt out of all of that. Uh, I think my publisher just basically wants to be able to say they published the book and, and um, you know, they're not, they're not really asking me to do those kinds of things. I think they know I wouldn't, um, but I don't judge, man. It's just an impossible environment right now. This is why literature is one of those things that cannot be subject to the whims and falls of the marketplace. Um, it has to be, you know, it's too important for that. It's too important for that. It's not, we're not rolling out a new deodorant here. Don't, don't, you know, I don't want, it's not just about the numbers and, and whether or not something sold or earned out or whatever or the publisher is happy it can't be about that um because then you're getting dumber as a society right if 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 a book is no different a product than the latest deodorant um, you're in a crisis point from a cultural standpoint so other countries get this the u.s never has and never, probably never will and that's why you um so again, I don't, I'm, I'm fortunate not to have to operate that way, but they have my deepest sympathy. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero and we'll come back with Sergio's top 10. This week's episode is sponsored by the new Google Home Assist. Hey Google, what's the weather today? Why don't you go out and check for yourself, you fat piece of shit? Now, with 10% more attitude. Fuck off. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time to hear Sergio's top 10. Yeah, this was tough, man. <laughs> this, you, gave, I, you know, I had, to, I had to kind of... I had to 
add some conditions. So what I did was, I think you're asking me my 10, what are you asking me exactly? <laughs> so I guess it's different for everybody, but essentially these are the books that if you were going to go to Rikers Island for the next 40 years oh. and stuck in solitary, yeah. these are the books you'd take with you. These are the gotcha. Desert Island, Rikers right. Island books. Well, when you say book to me, I'd say, I say novel. Yeah, so, and, and so so that made it easy. I, even though I love poetry, I love short stories, I was able to just take all that off the list. So that helped a lot. And the next thing I did was, because I've had some really bad experiences with translations of Spanish books, which is really the only other language I'm, I'm competent to judge in, I took away all translations. So I came up with 10 novels that I very much love that were written in English um, and that are novels. Okay, so I got Invisible Man, which to me is like, we, we talked a little while ago about that, whatever you want to call it, the socially conscious novel. To me, that it's the highest level one of that that I've come across. Um, work, it has politics, as it has a political viewpoint, but at the same time, it functions at the highest um, aesthetic levels, which is very difficult to pull off, very difficult to find. So Ellison's Invisible Man. Uh, Miss Lonely Hearts, Nathaniel West. I mean, what a deeply unpleasant experience it is to read that book, but what tremendous, um, uh, it's a, I think to me, it's a tremendous achievement. Um, love that book. To the Lighthouse, I've mentioned a million times, um, just um, not, nothing happens and yet everything happens. <laughs> uh, to the Just one of the seminal books for me, Moby Dick, I think I've spoken about great many times. I don't think it needs me to pump it up. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, hilarious, touching. Um, I love the voice. I just one of the books that I, I go back to many, many times. Housekeeping. We mentioned Marilyn Robinson before. Love it. Um, not so keen on the others, which is why I kind of helped form this notion of mine that if I have a great experience with one of your books, I, I, I maybe just leave it at that. Huck Finn, um, amazing. Fat City, Leonard Gardner. I don't know how well known that book is, but um, deeply powerful book about, you know, a segment of society that at least in American life is just like shunted off to the side and forgotten. Um, surfacing, Margaret Atwood came to me at, at a, an important time in my life um, as, a, as a writer. Um, I, I like a, a lot of her other books, but Surfacing is my favorite. And uh, Mulligan Stew Sorrentino, I think, is my 10th. Let me make sure I use it. Yeah, uh, hilarious. Great. I mean, as, and I don't know any writer that wouldn't immediately connect with that book, um, but it's more than hilarious, obviously. And uh, I think it's, it's up there. So that was my list of 10 I came up with. I could come up with 10 others, but I had to, had to cut <laughs> off at some point. It's a very, very good list. That's, I think, one oh, of my good. favorite lists we've had. Um, it's funny with, with um, Mulligan Stew because I read that fairly recently. And when I opened that and read the rejection letters at the beginning, <laughs> you were the first person I thought of. Yeah, well, I thought of myself too, you know, like I was like, oh man, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I had read it once before, before I, um, many years ago, but you know, um, I thought it was funny and it was great, but yeah, then when I read it the last time I was like, oh man, this guy's bitter, <laughs> but, but you know what, turn that bitterness into great art. And that's, that's what matters. Um, but he was definitely feeling it, man. <laughs> he was not happy. Not happy. 
All right, well, I might let you go in a second. Um, before we do, where can we find you online? I mean, I have a, I guess, SergioDelaPava.com if you want to, if you want to chat or talk about something. I mean, I'll respond to your email from there, but I don't have like the other stuff that you, that you mentioned about, but SergioDelaPava.com is kind of like my email. You can send me an email. You can shoot me an email and people do, and it's great. It's great fun. Um, they shoot me an email uh, for, for whatever reason to chat about the book world. And I usually, uh, I will get to you at, at some point. Um, um, I promise. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me. It's been so much fun. Thank you uh, both for the invitation and for the great discussion and have a great uh, day. Thank you very much. All righty. Take care. Thanks once again to Sergio De La Pava. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at beyondzeropod and you can email us at beyondzeropod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week.